You can open up in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. I did a sermon last week entitled, Kyle Rittenhouse and American Adolescence. And um, that sermon is up on Sermon Audio, and it is also at our YouTube um, channel titled Matt Chuella. So you can go to either one of those two places and listen to the sermon if you weren't here to listen to it. And I'm following up this week with another sermon about Kyle Rittenhouse. So it says here in the book of Genesis, chapter 2, verse 7, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. May God bless the reading of his word. The title of my sermon this morning is Kyle Rittenhouse, The Right to Life, Self-Defense, and Defense of Others. The Right to Life, Self-Defense, and Defense of Others. Let's stand and pray. Father, we rejoice in you and we thank you for this time that we have in your word to study this important matter out regarding the right to life, regarding the right to self-defense and the right to defend others. And may we see that it's much more, these last two are much more than a right, Lord, they're a duty. And Lord, we just ask and pray that you would be glorified here in the preaching of your word, that you would use it for good both in the lives and minds and hearts of the hearers, so that they would understand your ways and thoughts better and be able to proclaim them clearer to others. We also, O Lord, we also pray that you use this sermon for good for a young man who's being mistreated, for a young man who's being demonized by the magistrates and the media. And Lord, we just ask and pray that people would think better and clearer because of this sermon. And we ask this in Jesus' name. I ask that you help me to set it forth by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Could be seated. So, the media has been busy spreading lies about Kyle Rittenhouse and about what happened in Kenosha there on August 25th with the shooting that took place. I don't know if you've seen some of the interviews of the guy who survived, the one who was shot in the arm. Just despicable. First, the media spread all kinds of absolute lies about the shooting that took place there in Kenosha. Now they have this guy on a circuit, and they even have the families of the other two on a circuit trying to make bad men look good and make a good man look bad. It is wicked to watch. It's disturbing to watch. Even TMJ4 yesterday on their website had a big letter, a statement from one of the deceased family, all carrying water. This is their deal. They make evil look good and good look evil. That's what the media does. That's what most of academia in America does. That's what most government officials do in this nation. And it's grievous and evil to watch. So I want to begin this sermon telling you some truths and countering the lies that have been said about Kyle. And I'll be brief in this and then get into the scriptures about this matter of the right to life, the right of self-defense, the right to defend others. This is um, highlights from a statement from Kyle's attorney which I will post in its entirety um, when we post this sermon. But here's some of the things I want you to know from this. First off, Kyle was not a fugitive. Remember, our own state officials declared him a fugitive from, from law, a, a criminal, a fugitive, who fled to Illinois out of Wisconsin. He was not a fugitive. You can watch the video yourself and see that after the shootings were done and he made it to the police, he had his hands up in the air and he wanted to inform the police of what had taken place. That was clear, it's obvious, and yet, you know what? I talked to so many people who still haven't seen that footage and still believe he ran away 
and was a fugitive down in Illinois. You can watch the video yourself. Secondly, I want you to know that the gun never crossed state lines. You've probably heard a lot about that. Oh, he brought a gun across state lines. No, he did not. That gun never crossed state lines. I also want you to know that Kyle was in Kenosha to help clean up damage from the leftists, from Antifa and BLM and their kind, and remove graffiti. Some of you may have seen a picture of Kyle where he's cleaning graffiti off a wall. That was the day of the shooting, August 25th. Later in the day, a friend of a friend's father asked for help to protect businesses of his, which were a car, used car lot, and two mechanic shops, which had already suffered damage at the hands of the rioters, the leftists. Kyle had a medical pack with him when he went out. So he had his gun that his friend had given him, and he had a backpack, a pack of medical materials, because he wanted to be able to help anyone who was injured, whether people injured by the protesters or protesters themselves injured. He wanted to help them. And he is schooled in some medical procedures, so he's able to do that. Kyle became separated from the group he was with and was targeted by a crowd of leftist thugs. Later in the evening, he was targeted. There was a confrontation at a gas station which the leftists wanted to destroy. He and other men were there, and they were not able to destroy it because they were there armed, armed citizens. Prevented that gas station from being destroyed. They see him later in the night, Kyle, alone, and they go after him. And they begin to chase him, and they begin to pursue him. He retreats, and they continue after him. Someone shot a gun from behind him as they're chasing him. The New York Times has verified this on video. The New York Times has verified this and shows this on video that a shot was fired from one of the leftists. Kyle then turned around. A guy was lunging at him, and he shot the guy. And that guy was killed. He again retreated, Kyle did, as the crowd of leftists continued to pursue him. They wanted to get him. He's retreating, just trying to get away. All this you're able to see on video yourself. Okay? And it's amazing how many people I still run into on social media and in talking with people out on my daily route of life who have not seen any of this footage. They've just heard the the um, media accounts, and they believe them. He was overtaken as he ran down the street, retreating. He was hit from behind, kicked while on the ground by one, hit in the head with a longboard by another, and then another who was armed tried to disarm him. Kyle shot him in the arm, and the one who hit him with the longboard, he shot in the chest. He got up, continued towards the police to inform them of what took place, all on video. All three of the men that he shot were convicted felons. And I'm not going to go into their life and their evil. But what are the statistical chances of you being involved in a massive riot of lawless people and the three people you shot are all convicted felons? What's the statistical chance of that? I guess pretty good if it's Antifa, BLM, and leftists. The video is clear that Kyle acted in defense of his life, a clear case of self-defense. Kyle was attacked by a group of thugs and defended his life. He showed incredible restraint and coolness of mind in the midst of that situation. Kyle exercised what is known as the right of self-defense. And I want us to consider two questions in light of Kyle's actions. And the first question has two parts. Number one, 
Do we have a right to life? And if so, where does it originate from? Do we have a right to life? And if so, where does it originate from? And number two, if we do have a right to life, do we have a right to self-defense and the defense of others? Do we have a right to self-defense and the defense of others? Now, the schools, the media, the government are doing a great job to treat to teach people they do not have a right to life and certainly not a right to self-defense or defense of others. But even many of those who do understand that we have a right to life and a right of self-defense and defense of others do not know from where these rights originate, or if they do know from where these rights originate, certainly do not know how to articulate the origins. They do not know how to articulate the origins of it. Even John Locke, who so influenced America's founders, understood that we have a right to life and the rights to self-defense and defense of others, but even he did not explain their origins. He just assumed these rights, showing the impact of a Christian culture upon people, upon society. Many just assume these rights without knowing how to articulate their origins. I want you to understand this morning that we do have a right to life, a right to self-defense and defense of others, and that these rights come from God and that they are found in Holy Scripture. First, we do know that God is the giver of life. Our text here, Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. Amen? Psalm 139 also speaks to this. Psalm 139, verses 14 and 15 says, I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. And where would that be? Verse 13, For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. There are these two verses, and there are many, many more texts that make this perfectly clear that God gives us life. It is from God. Therefore, to kill someone is to take away something that God has given. And that is wrong. Cain and Abel, we see there that Cain was punished immediately for killing Abel. Genesis 9, 6. God says to Noah, Whoever sheds man's blood, his blood shall be shed. His life is forfeit. He's to be executed. God outlaws and punishes murder, which reveals not only is God the giver of life, but also that man has no right to arbitrarily take it from another. Not only is there a right to life, but there is also the right to self-defense and defense of others, which further supports and buttresses the right to life. These rights of self-defense seen in Scripture and this right of defense of others seen in Scripture further supports and buttresses the right to life seen in Scripture. This is seen in a whole host of passages in Holy Scripture, but we'll start with God's law. Understand the value of man went up dramatically because of the Christian worldview, because of the Christian ethic. If you look at what Christ came into and the value that human life held to the Romans and to society at that time, and many pagan cultures up until Christianity arrives, it is huge, the value of human life goes up massively. So let's start here with God's law. God declares in Exodus 20, verse 13, when he's giving the Decalogue, the sixth commandment, he declares there in verse 13, you shall not murder. This law not only further reveals the God-given right to life by virtue of the fact that it outlaws murder, but it also teaches us the right of self-defense and defense of others. How so, you might ask? 
Because when a law forbids something, it at the same time requires something. Did you hear me? When a law forbids something, it at the same time requires something. All scholars, all theologians understand this. They recognize this. They write about it. They talk about it. When a law forbids something, it at the same time requires something. For example, when the Bible says you shall not commit adultery, the duty under such a law is not just not to commit adultery, but to hold your spouse dear, to cherish her, to be faithful, kind, to win her affections, and a host of other duties. In other words, you do not just look at the negative, you shall not, but you look at the positive. You consider what is required by that law. What is required by that law. So the Westminster Catechism says in question 134, it says, which is the sixth commandment? And the answer is, the sixth commandment is, thou shalt not kill. And they cite Exodus 20.13 and Deuteronomy 5.17. And then the 135th question, the very next question of the Westminster Catechism is, what are the duties required in the sixth commandment? And the answer is, the duties required in the sixth commandment are all careful studies and lawful endeavors to preserve the life of ourselves and others. We have a right and duty to self-defense and defense of others. And when you see what is forbidden by a law, you also look to and understand what is required by the law. John Calvin said it this way in his Institutes of the Christian Religion. He said this, the purport of this commandment is that since the Lord has bound the whole human race by a kind of unity, the safety of all ought to be considered as entrusted to each. In general, therefore, all violence and injustice and every kind of harm from which our neighbor's body suffers is prohibited, that which is forbidden. Accordingly, he goes on and says, we are required faithfully to do what in us lies to defend the life of our neighbor, to promote whatever tends to his tranquility, to be vigilant in warding off harm, and when danger comes, to assist in removing it. We don't just look at the negative, you shall not, we look at the positive, what is required. Not just what is forbidden, but also is what is required. This has always been the thinking of churchmen, of theologians, of scholars. They understand these things, and you need to understand them also. Again, when a law forbids something, it at the same time requires something. Remember what it says in Ephesians 4.28? Ephesians 4.28? It says, Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Unquote. Notice stealing is forbidden. There in Ephesians 4.28, as God's law declares, you shall not steal. You shall not steal, the Eighth Commandment. But something is also required. And the Apostle Paul lays it out here. He himself understood when a law forbids something and at the same time requires something. It wasn't good enough that you just don't steal. As he went and said here in Ephesians 4.28, you are to labor, working with your hands, that you may have something to give him who has need. Amen? You're not just forbidden something, you're required of something. This is important to understand when it comes to law. Herein is rooted the understanding of the right to self-defense and the right to the defense of others which, of course, are found in the right to life. All these rights given to us by God. And understand this, the right to self-defense and defense of others is not just a right. It is also a duty. It's a duty. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 22, verses 2 and 3. The book of Exodus chapter 22 Verses 2 and 3. 
verse 2, if the thief is found breaking in and he is struck so that he dies, there shall be no guilt for his bloodshed. If the sun has risen on him, there shall be guilt for his bloodshed. He shall make full restitution. If he has nothing, then he shall be sold for his theft. Even if a thief breaks into your house at night because it's dark and you kill him, there is no blood guilt there. Because you have a right to self-defense and you have a right to the defense of others, your family and whoever else is in the home. Understand that? Even if it's just a thief, because you can't see properly in the dark. But if it's daylight and you kill him and you can see he's unarmed and he's just a thief and you kill him, there is blood guilt. Exodus 22, verses 2 and 3, makes it clear that there is a right to self-defense and defense of others. What about the story of Abraham and the king, Chedorlaomer? Turn to Genesis chapter 14, verse 14. The book of Genesis chapter 14, verse 14. Remember, there was a war between the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah and some other kings, and Chedorlaomer and some other kings, and... The kings of Sodom and Gomorrah lost, and Lot was living there. And Abraham learns that his nephew has been taken captive along with the women and the children and the servants. And it says in verse 14, Now when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, talking about Lot, he armed his 318 trained servants who were born in his own house and went in pursuit as far as Dan. He divided his forces against them by night, and he and his servants attacked them and pursued them as far as Hobah, which is north of Damascus. So he brought back all the goods and also brought back his brother, Lot, and his goods as well as the women and the people. You have a right to self-defense and the defense of others. It is biblical. Here's the great patriarch of Scripture in the Old Testament, Abraham himself exercising the right of the defense of others. Look at Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 11. The book of Nehemiah chapter 4. And verse 11, remember they were returning to Jerusalem and there were those who wanted to kill them. They didn't like them. They wanted them dead. And it says in verse 11, and our adversary said, they will neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. They didn't want Jerusalem rebuilt. They didn't like the Jews. They wanted to murder them. So it was when the Jews who dwelt near them came that they told us ten times, from whatever place you turn, they will be upon us. Therefore I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings, and I set the people according to their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brother and your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. You have the right to defend others. Amen? You have the right to defend yourself. Note that these were citizens, not soldiers. These were families that were armed. Esther 8 and 9 has something similar. Now listen to me. Not all killing is wrong. That's something the phony pablum preachers for the last 200 years have taught Americans this idea that all killing is wrong. That is absolutely false. Murder is wrong, but not all killing is wrong. When we read the Word of God, we see that it's not wrong to kill someone in defense of your own life. It's not wrong to kill someone in defense of the lives of others. We also see that it is not wrong for someone to be executed through the death penalty. We also see that it is not wrong to kill people in war. Understand that. Understand that. 
The proper rendering of Exodus 20.13 is not you shall not kill. The proper rendering is you shall not murder. That is the better word used there in the Hebrew. And the scriptures are abundantly clear that not all killing is wrong. Let me dwell momentarily on this and talk about this. Let me state first that Christianity believes all human lives are sacred. And we believe that for two reasons. One, because man is created in the image of God. In the Latin, we call that the Imago Dei. And secondly, Christ has died for all men, in that if any man repents and believes in Christ, he can be saved from his sins and from God's wrath. So based on these two reasons... Christ died for men, and we are made in the image of God. We view human life as sacred. We brought a whole new ethic to the world. Human life, its value went way up. It wasn't treated cheaply as it was prior to Christianity coming on the scene in nations and cultures. All people possess the right to life. All people possess the right to life. But you can forfeit this right by committing a capital offense, by murdering someone else, Your life is forfeit. Understand? God said that way back in Genesis 9-6. He said it in his law. Christ himself upheld the death penalty in the Gospels. The death penalty demonstrates and reveals the value of human life, the fact that you lose your life if you take a life through murder. That reveals the value of human life. The death penalty reveals and demonstrates the value of human life. You kill someone, you murder someone, you are executed. Your life is taken. If you oppose the death penalty, you cheapen the value of human life. In other words, you do the very thing you claim to be trying to stop by opposing the death penalty. Listen, if you say the death penalty is wrong because all human life is sacred, you actually are cheapening the value of human life by such an inane statement. There is a difference between the judicially innocent and the judicially guilty. And if you murder someone, you are judicially guilty. How many of you have ever watched Forensic Files? I don't think I've missed an episode. That's pretty awful, right? It's like I... We don't have the usual thing at our house. And so like when I'm at a hotel, I'll turn on forensic files. And next thing you know, you've watched like 18 episodes of forensic files. So it's like one of the things, and me and Clara have talked about this, we see how light of a sentence some people get. They do absolute evil, murder people, and their sentence is like a slap on the wrist. And you're just like, everything boils up within you. That was not justice. What are they doing when they do that? They're cheapening the value of human life. They claim that they're protecting the value of human life. We shouldn't execute anyone. You're actually cheapening the value of human life by being against the death penalty. Let me say this also. If you go to where they're executing someone, and I have in the past, you'll see that there's a group of people there protesting the death penalty, and then there's a group of people there celebrating the death penalty. Both are wrong. You're wrong to protest the death penalty. It is part of Holy Scripture. It is part of God's way. It establishes, it's one of the things that establishes and demonstrates the value of human life. It is that big of a deal that the person who murders someone else must be put to death themselves. And celebrating it is absolutely wrong because you should be sober at an execution. It should be sobering to you to see someone executed for murder, murdering someone else. Not high-fiving people, slapping and singing songs of joy and nonsense like that. The fact that human life is sacred yet must be taken reveals the death penalty is so sobering. 
And this is what makes it so sobering, the fact that human life is sacred, yet must be taken. The other thing we looked at was war. Remember numbers 1, 2, and 3? You can look that up later. Makes it clear God calls upon his people to form as an army, a citizen militia of sorts. Then, of course, you have the just war theory that Christian men established early on in Christianity, of which I have preached about here in the past. All these matters, this matter of the death penalty, this matter of war, demonstrate the right to self-defense in defense of others, not to mention all the verses I looked at regarding those two rights themselves. But the fact that you can war and the fact that the death penalty is to be upheld demonstrates the right to self-defense in defense of others. Understand nothing Jesus said repudiates the right to life and the right of self-defense in the defense of others. And I'm not going to belabor this, but I want to hit a couple of key things that, is re- that are regularly said by those who believe God is a pacifist, which pacifism is a heresy. It is not true of the character of God. That's why I call it a heresy. And it is not true of how his people are to live their lives. Pacifism is a heresy. And I've preached about it in the past year, went through it to show how evil and wrong it is. But I want to hit just a couple passages, so turn with me to Matthew 5, 38 and 39, because these are the passages that are most readily set forth by those who think we disregard all the other verses of the Bible that we were looking at, and many we didn't look at, which clearly prove the right to self-defense and defense of others, and we throw them out the window because of what Jesus said, in Matthew 38 and 39, which reads, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you not to resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. In this passage, Jesus is not denigrating the law and word of God in regards to one's right to defend himself and others. Rather, he was addressing the lex talionis, the law of retaliation which is an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. The Pharisees were perverting the lex talionis and were thinking not just equal retribution like a tooth for a tooth, but you could do back to your enemy four or five times what they did to you when it came to the retribution you dished out. That is what Christ was addressing there in Matthew 5, verses 38 and 39. He was not addressing civil retribution. Rather, he was addressing personal revenge. That's what he was addressing. The Pharisees were even using the law of God to justify this mindset, the very law that Christ mentions in verse 38. 38 was part of that to justify this perverting law of retaliation. Jesus is repudiating this perverting personal vengeance, which some sought to justify and participate in. He is not saying we cannot defend ourselves or others. Vengeance belongs to God, Romans 12, 19, Deuteronomy 32, 35, Proverbs 20, verse 22, and on. We are not to avenge ourselves. If we see someone who needs our help during the commission of a crime or we are being attacked, we have a God-given right and duty to intervene and respond. If, however, the crime has been committed, past tense, we have no God-given right or duty to go and execute judgment upon the perpetrator. God will avenge, God will judge, God has given the sword, a symbol of judgment to the civil magistrates, Romans 13, verse 4, if a crime has been committed, it is to be reported to the civil authorities and they have a God-given right and duty before God to execute judgment. That is their duty. So what Jesus says here does not repudiate the right to self-defense in defense of others in any way, shape, or form. Another passage greatly used by to try to 
teach that idea, is Matthew chapter 26. Turn there. Matthew chapter 26. And we'll look at verses 51 and 52. It says, And suddenly one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword, struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. But Jesus said to him, Put your sword in its place. We know this was Peter. For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot now pray to my Father and he will provide me with more than twelve legions of angels? How then could the Scriptures be fulfilled that it must happen thus? Some try to say that this passage proves that Jesus was a pacifist and against guns. Quite the contrary. Where does Jesus tell Peter to put his sword? Where does he tell him to put his sword? In its place. John makes it clear. Jesus said to Peter, quote, put your sword into the sheath. John 18, 11. Jesus didn't tell him to melt it down into a plowshare. Rather, he told him to put it into the sheath. The sword has its proper place. It's not evil. But Peter was wanting to use it in an improper fashion. Jesus came to earth to die. Peter would be abrogating the purposes of God if he intervened with the sword. As Jesus goes on to say in verse 11 of John chapter 18, Shall I not drink the cup which my Father has given me? Jesus was trying to teach his disciples that his kingdom is not expanded in the earth through the use of force, rather it is expanded through the preaching of the gospel and the discipling of the nations. If someone wants to live by the sword, they will die by the sword, as Jesus says. In other words, he who uses the sword for improper purposes will die by it. It was improper for Peter to have used it in that situation. Christ was meant to die. A criminal or a tyrant who uses the sword improperly will rightly die by it. But the use of the sword in a proper fashion to defend one's person or one's family or others or one's country is not condemned by Scripture, Rather, Scripture upholds it as just and legitimate. God is not a pacifist. Jesus is not a pacifist. What did he say here in the very next verse, verse 53? Or do you not think that I cannot now pray to my Father and he will provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? Jesus could have used force. The use of force, the use of swords were simply improper for the situation in which Christ was involved. He was supposed to die. He and the Father are not pacifists. He did not use force because he had to drink the cup of the Father. Some Christians think the only role of a Christian is only martyrdom. They have like some love affair with martyrdom. This is absolutely false. It is not the only role of a Christian. Being on the mission field like Jim Elliott is a very different situation than a rapist that breaks into your home. Understand these things. So the Bible is clear that we possess a right to life and we possess a right to self-defense and the defense of others. And the video footage clearly shows Kyle acted in self-defense and exercised his right to self-defense. Simply put, self-defense is a biblical and natural right of man. There is nothing about the cross that requires me to allow someone to kill my family or anyone else for that matter. Indeed, I have a moral imperative to come to the aid of those in distress. Self-defense is protecting oneself from injury at the hands of others, look at the video footage. These were lawless, destructive, violent, evil men pursuing Kyle. He did what any man would do. He defended himself. In our country, it is estimated that law-abiding citizens defend themselves using guns approximately 1 million to 2 million times a year. You might say, well, that's a big disparity, one million to two million. That's because so often when one uses a gun to defend themselves, the authorities are never notified and it's never recorded. It's estimated one million to two million times a year people use guns to defend their life or the lives of others in America each year. 
Over 400,000 people carry firearms here in Wisconsin. Concealed permits. Those are just the people who get the permits. 400,000. Wisconsin law recognizes the right to self-defense in the defense of others. We still see vestiges of Christianity found in this nation. Wisconsin Statute 939.48, which is titled Self-Defense and Defense of Others. That's the title of the statute. says this, A person is privileged to threaten or intentionally use force against another for the purpose of preventing or terminating what the person reasonably believes to be an unlawful interference with his or her person by such other person. The actor may intentionally use only such force or threat thereof as the actor reasonably believes is necessary to prevent or terminate the interference. They wanted to disarm Kyle, to kill him, to hurt him. He did what was right, he did what was just, he defended himself against those lawless men, against those evil perpetrators. The statute goes on and says the actor may not intentionally use force which is intended or likely to cause death or great bodily harm unless the actor reasonably believes that such force is necessary to prevent imminent death or great bodily harm to himself or herself. And the video footage shows clearly he had every right to defend himself. He had the duty to defend himself. The Supreme Court has also recognized the right of self-defense and that this right predated the very founding of our nation. Here's what the Supreme Court wrote in the 2008 Heller case. They said, by the time of the founding, the right to have arms had become fundamental for English subjects. Blackstone, William Blackstone, who I've spoken of, Blackstone, whose works we have said, quote, constituted the preeminent authority on English law for the founding generation. He was the most read legal scholar by America's founders. Blackstone was. Cited the arms provision of the Bill of Rights as one of the fundamental rights of Englishmen. See Blackstone, 136, 139 through 40, 1765. His description of it cannot possibly be thought to tie it to a militia or military service. It was, he said, quote, the natural right of resistance and self-preservation, unquote, and, quote, the right of having and using arms for self-preservation and defense, unquote. Other contemporary authorities concurred. And then the Supreme Court concludes, thus, the right secured in 1689 as a result of the Stuarts' abuses was by the time of the founding understood to be an individual right protecting both public and private violence. It's an individual right and has always been understood as such. Never listen to the gun grabbers. Anyone who wants to disarm you has ill intent in mind, whether it's an individual working for some group or whether it's your own government. Never, ever disarm. Again, the schools, the media, and the government are doing a great job to teach people they do not have a right to life and certainly not a right to self-defense or defense of others. The government wants to take away our right to self-defense and defense of others. Just this past Monday, here in Milwaukee, a group of leftist BLM Antifa people, large crowd, gathered outside a Trump supporter's home and ballyhooed and yelled and screamed for three hours. The police did nothing. The man who was inside was inside and had his shotgun on the ready. You know what your Milwaukee Police Department did? They came in and arrested the Trump supporter to the cheers and glee of the leftists. That's what they did. Look what they did to the couple down in St. Louis, Missouri, who simply stood on their property with guns in hand. On their property with guns in hand. Do you see what's happening here? Lawless magistrates who must be taken to task. And you're a fool if you allow them to get away with it. 
if you remain silent and say nothing of it. That always allows tyranny to proliferate. Cowardice and silence. Lack of action. The government wants to take away our right to self-defense and the defense of others. They would love to use this case against Kyle Rittenhouse to do exactly that, of accomplishing that end. And we must not allow that to happen. We must rally in support of this young man. We must take to task and oppose wicked magistrates. If they take away the right of self-defense and defense of others, we all become open game to their whims, to their evils, to their totalitarian devices. You must not disarm. You must rally around any who are attacked like Kyle or the couple in St. Louis. When you see lies or misinformation being spread through social media, you need to take it to task. I've done that in many, many places on behalf of Kyle on social media. I don't just say, oh, look at these liars. No, I say, you're a liar. And I share the truth of the situation. These rights, these duties of self-defense and the defense of others are God-given. We have no right to blithely pass them off so we can live a few more days in peace. The pulpits and the churchmen that fill them continue on overwhelmingly as the silent whores that they are. And you must not be that way. As an individual Christian, you have a duty to do right by Christ, regardless of your worthless churchman's behavior. So I say to you, be on your guard. As I said in a previous sermon, your own government at all levels is at war with you. Understand that. They are at war with you. May we do right as men. May we do right by our wives and our sons and our daughters. May we do right by Christ. Let's stand up and we'll close in a word of prayer. Father, we give thanks and we give praise to you that you have preserved your scriptures down through the years. We do know where the right to life originates. We can articulate it. We do know where the right to self-defense and defense of others comes from, and we can articulate it. They come from you, O God. And we should not blithely pass them off just so we can have peace in our day. Lord, I ask and pray that you put a fire within the heart of each one here to faithfully walk with you in the days ahead, to take time to read your word each day as an individual, to gather together as families and read your word together, to talk about the things of you, O Lord, to spend time in prayer together. Lord, so much is outside of our hands, outside of our control. We feel constrained, helpless, incapable of righting so much evil and wrong that we see. And so we can do this. We can cry out to you. We can beseech you, O Lord, for we know you are just and you do right in the earth, that you have your purposes at play amongst the affairs of men. Lord, I ask and pray that we would pray imprecations regarding these wicked magistrates, these lawless media officials, these dirtbag professors and academicians, oh God, all the wickedness and evil they want to bring forth. May we beseech you, oh God, with prayers of malediction. Lord, we give thanks and praise to you for your goodness to us that you have redeemed us, that we can see things clearly. You are good to us. We thank you that you keep us sane, that you keep us in order that you bring proper thinking and thought to men. And may we as your ambassadors bring that thought and thinking to other men. We thank you, O God, for your goodness to us, your redemption, your mercy. And Lord, we want to pray for Kyle Rittenhouse, still sitting in jail, 
This hearing that's coming up this week, O Lord, we ask and pray that your hand would be upon it. Let something great happen there. May your purposes in the earth be accomplished there, O God, whatever they may be regarding this matter, this national matter which all are looking upon. Maybe you'd be willing to accept whatever ruling is done and to understand at that point what we can further do, what action we must take. We need your wisdom, your thoughts, your thinking regarding these matters. Lord, stir the hearts of your churchmen. May they see they can't just stand against their churches being shut down like the churchmen in Germany did the same thing, O God. It was despicable. Let all the other evil go on. Don't say nothing of it. But if you touch our church, we'll take a stand. Lord, I just ask and pray that our hearts would be hungry for you, that we would be humble before you, that we'd be prostrate before you, utterly dependent upon you. You are the vine. We are the branches. We can do nothing without you. Use our simple acts that we do do against the evil and for righteousness. Use them exceedingly abundantly beyond all we could ever ask or think, Father. As we cry out to you, we look to you, O Lord, to do a great work in the hearts of men. May we be your faithful ambassadors, making your holy law and your great salvation known to men. May we not shrink back from it. We are a needy people and we're in need of you, O Lord. Strengthen us, strengthen our hearts, our minds, our bones. We love you, Lord Jesus. We love you, Lord. And we ask for all these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen.